I take everybody's call. I don't care if I can help them. I don't care if I can't. And my only goal is to be a value. Inevitably, our business is helping people. We're in the business of helping businesses and people. And if we're doing our jobs well, then there's great value to that. So welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My guest today is Craig Picken. Craig is the co-founder and managing partner for the North Star uh, Group, which is a boutique executive search firm based in Wilmington, North Carolina. Craig is focused on senior level leadership, sales and operations executives for some of the most prominent companies in the aviation and aerospace industry. Craig is a top producer who has personally concluded several hundred executive level searches since 2009. And today, I'm really excited because we're going to be discussing growing a business, resilience, important topic at any time, but especially now more than ever, and also being the expert in your sphere. Craig's going to share a few of the secrets to his success, plus the challenges he's had to navigate along the way. Welcome, Craig. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Mark, thanks for, thanks for having me on. So good to be here. Awesome. So you have a really interesting background. Your career history couldn't be more perfect for the niche you've chosen to specialize in, namely aviation and aerospace. Could you just briefly tell your story, your background as a pilot, and then how you got into recruiting? Yeah. So, you know, my goal was, you know, all my, you know, young life was to be a naval aviator. And, uh, you know, it was naval aviation. And I literally grew up, went to college for the sole purpose of graduating and ended up going to the Navy. And I, you know, flew for eight years, um, you know, a couple of carrier tours and had all the fun I needed to have. And then I think when I turned about 30 years old, I realized, hey, look, this isn't what I wanted to do anymore. Um, yeah, you know, it uh, kind of been there, done that, was looking at the future. I'm like, am I going to get anything more out of, the next 10 years over what I had over the last eight? And the answer was probably not. So I uh, ended up leaving the Navy. Uh, love airplanes and always have. And I knew I wanted to be in the business of aviation. So I networked around when I was coming out of the Navy and I ended up with Gulfstream Aircraft and was with Gulfstream for four years. Did about as much as I, I could do at Gulfstream. Knew what I, what I really wanted. I was not going to get Ended up walking across the street to Bombardier, spent another couple of years at Bombardier Business Aircraft. 9-11 hit. Um, I was in California at the time and all of my clients were dot-coms and private equity-backed companies. Um, business was not going to be good for a while. And, you know, it was a good time to transition to something else. So, I left the industry for a couple of years, uh, was, in a, was with a very, very high-end real estate development company, took my skills from business aviation to that, did really, really well. And then the financial crisis hit. Um, literally, I just moved to Carolina, North Carolina, live in the coast of North Carolina. Um, all of our, I was with a, another real estate development company. I was uh, vice president of sales. We had about a billion dollars that we were of real estate we were developing. All of our loans were tied to Wachovia Bank. When Wachovia went goodbye, oh my gosh! So did our business. Um, so we closed up shop. But here was the problem: is that the house I now had just bought was worth three to four hundred thousand dollars less than what I paid for it. 
Um, there were no jobs in business aviation and there were no jobs in real estate development either. So I sat back and said, what do I do? And, uh, a guy that I actually used as a consultant for my sales team said, hey, you'd be really good at this. And I thought, and he was talking about executive recruiting. I thought, hey, look, you know, I probably would be. Had some conversations with some larger firms and I sat there and thought about it. I said, you know, I could probably just do this on my own. There we are. Wow. So you're... 12 years later, here we are. Awesome. So first of all, what was it you knew from an early age you wanted to be a pilot? What was it that attracted you to that field? You know, my dad, when I was a little kid, we lived in Philadelphia area and we just a couple of years and we, you know, it was, it was a kind of a stop on the way for my father and he traveled a lot. We went to the Philadelphia airport and I saw all these airplanes. I think I was probably five, six years old, maybe at the time I saw all these airplanes and I thought that's what I want to do. And yeah, that was, that was, I was just sort of had a bullseye on that. Nothing else in, you know, nothing else really, you know, turned it on. I'm kind of a caffeinated person. I wanted a caffeinated job. <laughs> that sounded like a lot of fun. It looked like it was a lot of fun. And, you know, that's, that's the direction I went. So it's not a family tradition or a you know, naval, you don't have like a family tradition of the Navy or anything. Wow. I was the first. Okay, and, uh, interesting. I was the first and I was the last. My kids, I can't even get my kids to go see the Blue Angels. <laughs> hey, the Blue Angels, the Blue Angels are flying about an hour away. You guys want to go? They're like, nah, it's too loud. That's funny. So this is interesting. I, I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but while we're on this subject, what skills do you think that um, you developed uh, in the Navy and, and as a pilot um, and then later in you know, in, in sale, you're selling like hot, really high ticket. I mean, yep. uh, complex, uh, sales, um, which of those things that you developed w were transferable into recruiting? Well, a lot of things. So, you know, um, one discipline. So, you know, I'm a really disciplined person. I'm up at five 30 in the morning you know, at 6.15, we've got, we've got three big dogs. My wife and we've got, you know, we've, we just rescue dogs. So we're out for a two and a half mile walk with those guys. And by seven o'clock, we're, you know, we're back. Um, I'm a CrossFit guy. So, oh, cool. you know, for the next 45 minutes, you know, lately I've been in my garage yeah. doing, you know, some high, intensity, yeah. high intensity, you know, so, you know, I work out. Um, and then I'm in the office and I'm in the office from usually 8.30. You know, some people are in, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm an 8.30 guy. Uh, I get a lot of stuff done. And then really by about 10 o'clock, you know, that's when my day kicks off. And a lot of people are like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit different. I find what works for me. 10 o'clock till 6, 6.30 in the evening. I do my thing. I'm on it. And then I go home. Uh, for another couple hours, I do some more things relate work related, and then uh, yeah, it starts a whole new day. And the weekends, I really don't work on the weekends. I you know, it's a Monday through okay. Friday, but it's a very intense Monday through Friday. All right. Day. So that's kind of what you know what I learned in the Navy. The other thing is, hey, look, you know, we used to say, yeah, when you know, when you take off from an aircraft carrier, you've got you know the best laid plans. Within five minutes, those plans have all gone to hell. Airplane breaks, 
somebody misses or something, you know, it's, it's like, okay, we got to flex. So it's, it's like always keep an open mind, be able to flex mm. with the time. So I'm not really a control freak. I'm just able to kind of flex things out, not worry about the little stuff. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of what's helped me. So the discipline and the ability to be flexible and figure out solutions to emerging problems. Uh, anything else? You know, uh, everybody who knows me, I don't necessarily, I, you know, I don't mince words. Okay. I'm probably a little too, undi- I'm, I'm a little too undiplomatic. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like, hey, look, let's just cut to the chase. Where are we, where are we going with this whole thing? Both from a you know, client side and from uh, an executive side of the house. It's, yeah. you know, it's, if, if we're moving down the same path, let's move down the path. If we're not, let's just be big boys and girls and call it and move yeah. on. All right. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of something. And then, you know, when I think about, you know, my, my industry, you know, I, I work with aviation and aerospace companies. Um, you know, what part of an airplane do I not know? You know, do I not know? Yeah, yes, I know your industry. I know your business. I know what you do. Um, you know, don't think I'm somebody who's just picking it up. Uh, I've been around it longer than 20 years longer than most of my clients have. So, wow. Okay. There's no, there's no secret. There's no secrets. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no secrets with what's happening in your business. Craig, um, you know, one of the things that recruiting can be stressful um, and, you know, you, you face a lot of disappointments, setbacks, things don't work out according to plan. Um, you know, can you think of an experience that you had maybe as a pilot that was pretty hairy and, um, you know, that you... You know, can you think of a situation like that where you had a scary situation? Or you know, yeah, there's one like there's one instance, you know, where you know it was my roommate on the carrier, and okay. actually we, you know, one night it was probably about you know ten o'clock at night. You know, we launched off the carrier. We're in the South Pacific, and on the radio we heard our squadron mate come up on a radio, and you know, the you know, anytime you wanted to talk to the carrier, you're talking to the guy called the boss. He's the air boss. He runs the flight deck. And all we heard was a very panicked voice that said, boss, I think the tail number was 602. We got to land now. We need an open deck now. And, you know, in a very calm voice, the boss, he knew it. He's like, okay, we're, we're clear of the deck. Now understand there's a launch cycle going on. There's airplanes all over. You know, now there's, you know, it's crazy. We had just launched off and we had heard the, we had heard this and I was kind of looking at my career. I'm going, what's up? I got, they got a fire. And one guy in my airplane is like, no, no way. I'm like, they got a fire. And sure enough, they had a fire. Now, you know, a whole bunch of scrambling going on, but I think about my roommate, who was one of the best, he was probably one of the worst officers in the Navy, but he was one of the best pilots. He was absolutely great guy, phenomenal guy, a lot of fun. And if there was ever an emergency, you wanted him to be dealing with the emergency. Well, they did have a fire and it was electric fire. And what the electrical fire did was it took out all of his systems so that he's landing on a aircraft carrier 
in the middle of the night with nowhere else to go. And oh, by the way, the fire took out his some rudder controls and it's a turboprop with two big propellers spinning in the same direction. So you got a lot of directional torque. He had no ability to go around if he missed the wires. He's got no bolter capability. They're just getting, they're going swimming. Um, him and his co-pilot brought the airplane aboard with nothing but a flashlight. And, you know, they're like scanning it out. And his co-pilot's got the flashlight on the, uh, the instrument panel. Um, they grabbed a four-wire. And if you, yeah, there was no panic in the cockpit. There was, you know, nothing. It was just, you know, a couple of days later, we had the same situation. We had a box blow up on our airplane. Oh, my gosh. With smoke and fumes everywhere. Scared the hell out of us. But it's like, okay, you know, no panic, no nothing. So, you know, the one thing the Navy treats you, teaches you real well, it's not how to fly. It's how to fly when your airplane's on fire <laughs> right. and all your systems are going to hell. And that's what recruiters got to understand is, hey, look, what do you do when everything's going to hell? And it's a very emotional business. I mean, you can't control people. Yeah. A lot of recruiters talk about control. Mm-hmm. I don't try to control anybody. It's like, hey, look, it's, yeah, it's your decision. It's, you know, it's, I'm just a middleman. I'm going to help you as a, yeah, you talk about as a candidate, I'm going to, I'm going to help you as a client. I'm going to help you, you know, but this, this thought of control, you've got no control. And the more you try to exert control, I think the more damage you do, it's just like a very, okay, here's, here's the path we're going down. You know, it's, it, for me, there's no emotion in it. Um, I just try to do the best I can and put myself in another guy's shoes and, and do it. So, you know, it's, th- those are all kind of the life lessons I learned from Naval aviation. I love it. Um, that mindset of, you know, flying the airplane while it's on fire, um, you know, definitely, I think, I mean, by comparison, recruiting must be pretty relaxing, you know? No, I mean, there's some stressful moments. I remember, I remember, you know, this goes back to when I was in my, uh, I was probably a third year, second year in my business, third year in my business, and a company calls me up and they had this position description. And, you know, it was for, uh, they wanted a lawyer. Basically, it was a VP of contracts position, but they wanted a lawyer who was admitted to the bar. And, you know, the lawyer, the guy, that, you know, they looked for nine months. I looked, you know, I, I went through my networks. And I found the right guy. He just happened to be living 20 minutes away from them. And he wanted one thing. He was... Everything with the job was good, except for one thing. He didn't want to be a VP of contracts. He wanted to be, because he was a lawyer who had been admitted to the bar, because he was getting career advice from a very close family member who said, you need to be a counselor or counsel. You know, that was his one requirement. And a very emotional VP of HR, very abusive guy, found out he's very abusive inside the company too. Mm-hmm. Call me up and 
starts reading me the riot act. And I started getting angry. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm starting, and I'm like, all right, settle down. You know, I'm sitting there biting my cheeks. I just want to come through the phone and just, if I could have choked him through the phone, I would have. And I just asked him a very simple question. Who wrote this position description? And in a very you know, loud voice, he goes, I did. I said, all right, well, let's walk through the position description. You know, you want an attorney who's admitted to the bar with this experience, correct? And I go, yeah. And I said, well, okay. Did you write attorney admitted to the bar? Yes, I did. Well, I don't know about you, but most attorneys that I know who are admitted to the bar want to be called counselor. So before you start yelling at me about something, why don't you sit back and think about what stage you set up? And instead of screaming at you know me, why don't we talk about how to fix it? If we can get it, great. If you can do it, cool. If you can't, let's just move on. We'll go find somebody else. It's it's not a, you know, we're not talking about, you know, world peace here. We're talking about, are you willing to give this guy what he wants? And if you're not, just call it. It's okay. Yeah. So. So what know, happened? Once uh, they ended up hiring the guy, they gave him what he wanted. They ended up hiring awesome. him. And my relationship, well, what's crazy though, is the, the relationship with the company, it, you know, they call me every now and again. I think they go through about 100 recruiters before they'll call me, which is just fine because I really don't enjoy working with them anyway. Um, you know, it, it's like, you know, the, the next person I placed with them, you know, so this guy lasts a long time and he did really, really, really well with them. And then he gets recruited to a, a different company and he leaves. The next person I placed with them was the was consecutive employee of the year. Wow. You think about a thousand, fifteen hundred person company. So they got a the guy I placed with them is two years in a row, you know, employee of the year. But there was always this dynamic of I really don't like you guys. I don't trust you. You know, let, maybe it's just I, I've done great work for you, but I don't think that's enough. You need somebody who's gonna just take it. And that's not, you know, that's not me. So once again, it's just kind of backing up and saying, if, you know, I make a lot of money, I got a good little business going, I can pick and choose my clients. You can pick and choose your recruiters. If we're not a good fit for each other, it's okay. You know, once again, it's okay. Absolutely. Great philosophy. I, I agree a hundred percent. So Craig, you started your business in the economic downturn, 2008, 2009. What lessons from, you know, that uh, downturn, do you think can be applied during the situation where we find ourselves in today? Well, once again, it's, it comes down to this. I've been a firm believer and I have a lot of younger, newer executive recruiters call me. And I'm a big believer in, look, you know, going out and looking for business is not always the right thing to do. You're, you, know, you know, a lot of them are picking up the phone, got a guy, need a guy, want a guy. It's all about a guy or girl conversation. Um, my goal was to just learn. And, and here was my challenge. So I was in aviation and then I left. And then, you know, a lot of my network, 
you know, you call them up one day and you go, hey, I'm an executive recruiter now. They go, well, wait a minute, I thought you were doing something else. Well, I'm back. You know, and like, hey, great. You know, but what do you, you know, so what? You know, we, we know a lot of executive recruiters. So a lot of me just put away my own, my old network. I just, I just put them off to the side and said, I'm going to go build new relationships with new companies. And there was a book that was called The World Aviation Directory. It was literally about that thick. I'm, I don't know if it's printed anymore, but it was, you know, it's kind of like the you know, phone book of aviation companies. My wife and I were sitting and I go, where do we start? And she goes, well, why don't you just start with A? <laughs> My first client, amazingly enough, was AeroTurbine out of Florida. I mean, I still, I'm still friends with these guys. I placed, you know, and we talked about the business and we just, you know, they're like, hey, look, you seem like you know what, you know, what's, what's going on. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it was really cool because I was fascinated with their business too. It was something I'd never seen before. I'm like, wow, you guys, you know, you got it going on. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I did probably a dozen, maybe a dozen placements with those guys ranging from their COO to, you know, VP of HR to salespeople and developed a great relationship with them. They're, you know, they're gone. They've been, you know, they, they got bought and sold a couple of times and now they're all scattered out, but I still maintain relationships with them. So what am I doing now? I mean, there's no business happening in aviation and aerospace. You know, 70% of the world's airlines are parked. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple searches I'm finishing up actually, which is great. Um, but I'm just having conversations with people, building my network, talking and being a value. How can I help you? Um, today I got a text from a guy who's a CEO, former CEO of a company. He's got some private equity behind him and he's looking for opportunities to invest. We were talking the other day and I said, hey, look, let me introduce you to this guy over here. They may be willing to do something or they're talking about it and it's a good relationship. You should know them anyway. And let me introduce you to this guy over here. So I just sent out e-introductions, e called him up. Those guys are now talking. Awesome. So I prove, you know, you're like, hey, look, is there any money in it for me? No, but that's okay. You know, it's about helping people get to where they need to be and looking a year down the road or six months or whatever and going, all right, when that business comes back and is ready to be harvested. I'll be the person they're thinking about. And that's Absolutely. the way that's the way I'm looking at it all right now. Yeah, no, it's a great perspective to really think about longer term rather than out of desperation just scrabbling around trying to um, you know, trying to sell a candidate is thinking more about let's really solidify our relationships and 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 continue growing the network and and wearing that from the frame of how can I help? How can I Bring value to this person. That makes total sense. You may think about, you know, you may think about a, a great executive calls you up and they're like, hey, I'll, I'll make, I want to make a change. You say, hey, look, I'll invest in you. Mm -hmm. I'll invest my time in you. I'll help you. Let, let us get you positioned to make that next jump in your career. I will help you get there. If I'm the, if I'm the recruiter who places you, that's great. If, you, if I help you position yourself for that next role and you find it on your own or another you know, recruiter gets it, that's great. Just remember who helped you get there. Yeah. Who guided you? Who guided you? And again, 
you're not looking at the immediate. You're looking at, I think too many people are looking at the immediate versus, hey, look, strategically, how do we, yeah, how do we do this? You know, I just want to uh, highlight that, Craig, because I agree 100%. And, but a lot of recruiters, they seem to compartmentalize. They've got the candidate bucket over here and they've got the client bucket over here. And when can- if candidates come to them and they don't have a slot for them, then they just have no time for the candidate. And to me, that's crazy because, you know, those are your clients of the future, right? And uh, I love the way that you set the stage and sort of pre-framed that. The wording was was really elegant, the way you... Um, yeah, you know. no, I, I have time. I take everybody's call. I don't care if I can help them. I don't care if I can't. I take everybody's call. And I mentor a couple kids at the local university, like five of them, but I take everybody's call. And my only goal is to be a value. And if I take the call at eight o'clock at night, it's at eight o'clock at night. Do I want to take calls at eight o'clock at night? No, not necessarily. But sometimes that's my day is full or their day is full. And it's like, hey, look, just call me at eight o'clock tonight. And I'll sit on my back porch and we'll just talk about where you want to go, where you want to be. Um, but inevitably, our business is helping people. We're in the business of helping businesses and people. And if we're doing our jobs well, then, you know, there's great value. There's great value to that. Awesome. Um, I love that, Craig. Um, listen, do you, don't share anything you're not comfortable with, but do you mind um, sort of outlining in broad terms, like how many deals you're doing per month or your average sort of fee size, that sort of thing? I, uh, I set a goal for myself of 20 placements per year. Some are, you know, some are very tactical to just kind of, Hey, look, I, you know, somebody calls me up and says, Hey, look, I need something. I'm like, Hey, look, uh, because I'm very ingrained. I'm usually thinking about within a minute or two, I'm thinking about, Hey, look, yeah, I got somebody for you. Let me, let me make a call. I'll call them back. We'll get you guys hooked up. I'll do seven of those six or seven of those a year. Just, Hey, somebody calls me up and says, Hey, we're looking for something. If, if you know somebody, Hey, yeah, I will. The rest are retained searches. And, you know, I set a goal for 20, um, 18, 16 to, 16 to 24, 24 is the, the most I've done and I'm exhausted. Um, <laughs> at the end of 24, I have an average, you know, service charge goal of 50,000 bucks. You do the math. Awesome. Um, I don't have a big staff. Um, you know, I don't really want a big staff. Uh, in fact, you're talking to the group. You know, that's that's <laughs> it. It's it's. But uh, I will do between 16 and 24 placements a year, and that's kind of my my goal. I love it. You, how have you progressed to? I, I think in a previous conversation you mentioned that you've continually sort of upgraded to bigger and bigger placements. Could you speak on that briefly? Well, yeah. I mean, when you're first starting out, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get, you're going to, you're sort of going to get what you get. And that's, you know, that's just the realistic, you know, unless you're going to work, you know, yeah. Like even if you, you start as an associate at Spencer or, you know, Hydric or whatever else, you know, you're going to start out with what they give you. You know, so when I started out, it was sort of tactical 
trying to see what I could get, taking it out there. But then over the years, it just, you know, it, it didn't take very long, to be honest with you. Um, you know, directors, VPs, C-level. Now my sole goal is to really just do nothing but CEOs, CFOs, senior operations leaders. I can have the strategic conversations. Look, some I'm small. Some companies aren't going to, you know, some companies just aren't going to, you know, they're like, hey, look, you know, this is not something we're, we're comfortable giving to a small office. Okay, that's fine. Um, one of the larger search firms and I had a conversation, you know, five years ago, six years ago, five years ago, I don't know how long it was. We probably had five conversations. Hey, why don't you join us? I think the more I talked, the scareder they got. <laughs> the more they talked, the more petrified I got. Um, you know, it's like, you know, I think it's like, yeah, they had their way and I respected the fact that they had their way. Um, I've got my way. Not that I can't, you know, not that that's a, a bad thing, but at the end of the day it was, Hey, look, I live on the beach in North Carolina and I kind of like where I live and I didn't really see the need to move to a big city and take a pay cut. Um, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, you know, so you realize that, hey, look, it's, you know, I'm in my lane. Yeah, there's, there's benefits. There's benefits to everything. And there's drawbacks to everything. And, you know, I've got my drawbacks, but I've got my benefits too. And I think, you know, as uh, the older I get, the more I look at it and say, hey, look, I got to, you know, I'll stay in my lane. I work with smaller private equity backed, privately held companies. Mm-hmm. I work with some larger companies that are kind of thin on, you know, resources. You know, they just run lean. So, you know, I get it. So it's, you know, I'm good with that and, and it's okay. Cool. Um, yeah. That makes sense. The recruitment industry is going through a time of unprecedented challenge and all of us have been affected to a greater or lesser extent. From what I can see from my vantage point, speaking to hundreds of recruitment business owners around the world, for the vast majority of recruiters, this is a very painful time. What about you? Do you have a plan for the next 30, 60, and 90 days? All of my clients have a plan to navigate this crisis because I've helped them to create one. I've survived multiple economic cycles, including the dot-com bubble, the crash after 9-11, the Great Recession of 0809. And listen, I know this is different to anything we've seen before, but based on my past experience, I'm confident that I'm getting through this in decent shape and I'm determined to bring my clients with me. So if you're ready to be proactive instead of reactive and you're open to getting some guidance and support, then you're invited to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. I will be focused on helping you to get clarity on your situation and create a plan for moving forward. By the way, I don't have all the answers and I'm not promising miracles. I can promise you'll leave the call feeling focused and re-energized with a solid plan for moving forward with or without my help. Once again, it's www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You mentioned um, to me some, so I'm always interested in hearing people's big challenges that have kind of shaped them or, or uh, influenced them in some way. Could you speak about what for you has been one of the big challenges in your career? 
Oh, a big challenge in my career is uh, I've been my own worst enemy, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's uh, look, I, I grew up in a very chaotic environment. Mm. Um, and when I went to college, it was, look, I yeah, put myself through college. And, you know, I just, you know, I've got my own little streak of independence. And I've, I'm just kind of, if, if everybody's on the left side of the road, I'll guarantee you I'm not. Um, if for no other reason, just because, um, that's hurt me. And, you know, you know, as I, as I grow up, as I mature, you know, now I'm, you know, in my fifties, I look back and I go, yeah, it probably wasn't the right thing to do. Um, but I'm okay with that. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when, so the challenges were when I was with you know, the big companies, it was sort of, you know, fitting their you know, hey, look, it's their business and either you fit or you don't. And if you don't fit, it's not their job to make you make you fit. It's your job to either fit or move on. So, you know, when I think about the Navy, you know, I was, you know, I was probably not the, I'll say I was not our commanding officer's uh, pet. Um, you know, when I was at Gulfstream Aircraft, I was not you know, necessarily, I just got bored. And when I get bored, I, you know, like, all right, I wanted to go do something different and time to go, you know, do something different. So the biggest, so the challenges I've had has just been kind of like, you know, okay, I want to do something more than what I've done. Keep it going without getting frustrated. Just realize that the time comes, you say, okay, it's, you're here. You, you feel like you peaked. Don't get frustrated that you peaked. What's the next you know, what's the next thing? Um, so for me, it's continually, you know, that's my biggest challenge is kind of, you know, rolling on. Now, I've had some great times too. You know, Mark, you know, don't, I met some unbelievably cool people. I've had some great times. Um, but the biggest challenge for me was to say, okay, maybe it's just time to go off and do it on my own. And, you know, that's where I, you know, that's where I, listen, I'm better I, off. Totally relate to that. I um, have worked for myself since 2001, and I could never go back, um, no matter how much you paid me. And, and uh, you know, I, I think we have that in common. I, I, I don't like playing politics. I just, you know, uh, I like doing things, finding creative ways to do things and not necessarily doing them the way that they're supposed to be done. Um, Craig, you, wasn't there a situation where you got fired once? Could you? Uh, well, yeah. So I was, well, I was, so it goes back to when I was a Bombardier okay. and after nine 11, you know, I got the, my, my, my <laughs> boss became my peer or I'm sorry, my peer became my boss. Okay. And the day that announcement happened, I was like, Oh no, this is not, this is not going to go well for the home team. So I had a lot going on. My wife was pregnant with twins. We were living out in California. She wasn't necessarily involved, you know, enamored with California. 9-11 happened. So there's a lot of stress there. Yeah. And then the twins were born. And then it was like monumental stress because we'd really, yeah, you know, we're trying to care for twins. I'm on the road five days a week. Um, literally, I was flying out of Orange County every day on the 7 a.m. flight and flying back. And then she's handing me the kids and saying, it's your turn now. <laughs> I did an interview. This is no kidding. I did an interview. It was on the uh, Discovery Channel. Um, this goes back a while. I don't know if I, it's, but I, I've got it somewhere. But uh, cool. 
I did it. They, they interviewed me. I was sitting on a Learjet and we were talking about business aviation. And I literally had not slept in 24 hours. <laughs> and I look at the guy going, we're doing this interview. I haven't slept in 24 hours. So uh, anyway, um, but your boss decides to come out. And again, this is being my own little worst enemy. Um, and he says, give me your territory thing. I'm going, look, it's tough out here. It's, it's LA, it's Southern California. It's after 9-11. A lot of private equity guys, their businesses are blown up. It's a lot of dot-coms. Their businesses are blown up. In fact, one of my customers was a, a partner in Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield and Byers. One of the time was one of the biggest VC companies. And he was like, we're, we're half of our portfolio is gone. So I'm like, look, it's going to be a thin year. You know, at the end of the, you know, the, it's going to be thin until everybody finds traction. Doesn't mean we're not working. It doesn't mean we're not, you know, doing, you know, doing what needs to be due to be successful, but I'm really worried about what's going to happen. Yeah. That was probably the wrong thing to say. It should have just, you know, said something different and, and moved on. But you're honest, right? That's one of the but things I was you said honest. earlier. That you, you're direct and you tell people what you really think. You're direct. I tell people what they think. And it's like, hey, look, it's, you know, and, and uh, I was invited mm-hmm. to leave the company a couple months later. And like, well, that kind of sucked. I, I did not enjoy that. But, but once again, that brings opportunities. And that was, to me, actually, that was really devastating to me. That was kind of a job that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very successful with it. Um, and, you know, but I took that opportunity and we went from Huntington beach, California. And this is what I tell everybody where there's chaos, there's opportunity. So we, my wife didn't like California necessarily. Anyway, she felt very alone out there. So we had an opportunity and you're ready for this Lewisburg, West Virginia. Okay. And if you think about Lewisburg, West Virginia, one, West Virginia scares you. Know, the thought of West Virginia in the United States just scares the hell out of a lot of people. More jokes are made about West Virginia. I don't know, but this, and, as an outsider, I, you I got to Yeah, you, you, this is something you got to trust me about. You think All about right. Mount, you know, just go watch the Beverly Hillbillies once or twice <laughs> and you'll figure it out. All right. I got this opportunity and it was like, it was really, it was, it was actually, um, I had two opportunities come at the same time. One was with a company called NetJets, which everybody knows go meet these guys. And then on the way to see NetJets, I stopped in West Virginia to meet these real estate developers. And I never left West Virginia. I just called the NetJets guys up and said, hey, look, I, the, I, I'm good. And we moved and we sold our house and made a phenomenal profit on our house in West Virginia or in California. It was you know, the beginning of the real estate bubble. We moved to West Virginia we were able to buy a house in West Virginia for less than the money, less than the profit. Wow. Off the house in California. So now that we're sitting fat. Um, and we made, you know, commission only job. And we made more money than anybody should ever be allowed to make in West Virginia. Yeah, you're like, wow, you're kidding me. Um, and all you had to do was sell. And wait, I what, was, what were you selling? Real estate, it was very, very high end. So we, yeah. we joint ventured with, there was a, a, there's a resort called the Greenbrier Resort. Okay. And CSX Railroad, one of the big railroad companies in the United States, owned it. And they had 6,500 acres around it. And the question was, how can we unlock the value of this real estate that we basically got for free 
how can we make money off this real estate without ruining the aesthetic of a 220-year-old world-famous resort? And the guys I work for put in this plan that unlocked $300 million worth of real estate. And, you know, we were, you know, we were selling stuff for a million dollars an acre in some areas. Wow. But it was, it was like getting to meet my old customers in the biz app from the business jet world again. They all knew that I sold business jets. A lot of them had business jets. We talked about it just using that experience. And then I stopped looking back. I was like, okay, the business jet days are gone. Um, you know, we're moving forward. So it was taking a, a, an experience that was really devastating to me and turning into something that was just awesome. And we had a great time. We loved West Virginia, great place to raise my infant, you know, infant to toddler twins. And we just had a, had a terrific time there. That's cool. So imagine if you hadn't been fired, you would have never, you know, had that particular opportunity. It would have. Uh... No, never would have come my way. Yeah. Never would have thought about it. It taught me how to be really entrepreneurial. It taught me yeah. how to really you know, think back on all of my skills. I had one client of mine, you know, be a billionaire family. And they were talking about, you know, hey, look, we're, 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 we're going to buy some jets for our company, but we really don't trust the industry that much. Mm-hmm. You know, what should we do? And we sat down and we sketched some stuff out on a napkin. And I said, yeah, look, uh, here's three people I know that you should go talk to, um, you know, as far as your airplanes go, I'm, you know, I'll highlight it out. Here's three really reputable people. Go find the one you like best. Well, that little bit of advice put, I don't know, hundred thousand dollars in commissions in my pocket. Wow. Just because I sat down with them for a couple yeah. hours and talked about business jets, something I really enjoyed and referred them to somebody and then they're like, hey, look, their friends are talking to them about, you know, we want to go buy some real estate at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. Like, if you do that, you got to go talk to Craig. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey, you know. Something uh, uh, Tony Robbins says that I like is, what if your worst day was your best day? Yeah. Yeah. And you, d- you, you don't realize it until in retrospect, you know, at the time, you're like, this is the worst day of my life. And then you realize that, had that not occurred, then so many other amazing things would never have happened either. Right, right. And that's, you know, that's the way it is. Hey, life moves on, you know, and I tell people, you know, look, um, we used to say in the Navy, it was called hack. And if you, if you're an officer and you weren't put in hack, like you didn't get in trouble, kind of grounded. Hack hack was kind of like, you got grounded by your, by your skipper. Okay. You know, it's kind of like you, you, you push the boundaries a little bit. You pissed off your commanding officer and he put you in hack for a while. Maybe you got your wings taken away for a week or a month or you got, you know, some extra duty. You know, we used to say if, you, if you've never been put in hack, you just weren't pushing the boundaries. You know, um, you, just weren't, you just weren't pushing the boundaries. And, and that's the thing about life. It's like, hey, look, if you're not pushing the boundaries a little bit, you're, you know, if you're not getting in trouble a little bit or you're not making some people uneasy or you're not making yourself uneasy, you're not pushing the boundaries. Right. So I tell a lot of people, hey, look, you got fired, so what? You know, did you get fired because, you know, there's, there's a difference between getting fired because you, you know, expense accounts or malfeasance or something like that, but there's, 
you know, CEO tenure is what, two, two to three years now? You know, and you get sideways with the board or your shelf life with the board runs out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. Go find something else. Yeah. Maybe it's your time to go start your own thing. Awesome. I love, I, I love that attitude, Craig. Um, so, I mean, we're getting into territory here, which is kind of the resilience, the mindset side of things. Um, can you think of a, um, like, how do you, when you're, like, here's the thing. Right now, a lot of recruiters are panicking. They are, um, you know, they're not billing anything. They haven't got the savings to fall back on. And they're sort of in, in, in desperation mode. Um, what advice would you have for someone who called you up and said, Craig, what should I do? Look, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, so if, you know, from uh, the last 10 years, from a financial standpoint, I'm, incredibly, I'm an incredibly conservative person. Cash is king. Yeah. Debt is not. Um, you know, so I live my life very unlevered. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting back and I'm going, you know, this is not, for me, it's not a panic. No, I can understand. I know a lot of, I know a lot of executive recruiters with a lot of employees and they just, they, sh- they shed everybody. You know, I look at it now, I'm going, all right, my, I'm in the office at 8.30 every day. I could probably just take the summer off. And, you know, who knows? You could sit there and say, I look at my wife, I could probably just take the summer off if I wanted to and come back in August. But that's not my style. And it's about laying the framework. And you're going, hey, look, if you can't, if this isn't for you, if you can't handle a downtime, you shouldn't, you know, maybe it's time for you to move on and go find, go find a paycheck. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I can say, you know, but on the flip side, I'm building my business. I am actually, I'm actually having conversations with people I've never met. I'm like, Hey, look, let's just talk about, I, I, I reached out, I spoke at a conference a couple of uh, months ago and I reached out to the group that sponsored me, which is an industry association. I said, Hey, look, I got a little bit of free time now. How can I help you guys? How can I help you with your message? Great idea. You know, what, what can I do to help you? No, I'm, you know, no, you know, no fee involved, but if I'm helping the industry out. So I wrote an article for him that got published. Um, and then I just reached out and said, what else can I do for you? How can I help you? Um, I think that's what people need to be doing now. If you're so focused, look, you know, clients can smell it. They can smell desperation. They can smell, do you really want to be working with a guy who's so desperate but they're willing to do anything to get a paycheck or a retainer, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I've had those calls with, you know, when I was with you know, Bombardier, I had those calls, you know, like, Hey, we're a publicly traded company. Can you, can you do the deal before our end of our fiscal year? And the minute you say that to a client, the first thing they say is what's in it for me. Yeah. You know, the difference in the, the day they wanted to stroke the check and maybe 24 hours. But they're going to say, yeah, hey, look, yeah, I can help you, but what do I get out of it? Just because that's, so they, they can smell desperation. So um, for, you, you said a couple of things I just want to pick up on, Craig. One was, you know, that I think this can be the making of somebody in that, you know, if someone entered the business during the last kind of boom, we've, we've had an unprecedented 
period of uh, prosperity where um, the recruitment industry, like after the last downturn, the recruitment industry is worth, I don't know, five, I, I can't remember the, the, the last figure, something like 500 um, billion worldwide, right? And it's grown even bigger than it was before the downturn. And so if people entered the business during that phase, they've never really known the hard graft spade work that it takes like to, you know, to, to, to build a business. Um, and maybe it's, um, you know, they just, they, they were, they were comfortable. They were accustomed to it being a certain way. And the way I think of it, if you can build a business now, this is the real test, right? If you can build a business now, then that speaks way more to, you know, the character and the skills development that will then give you a sustainable, you know, long-term success in the, in the business. So I've got, um, a, I've got a client now. <clears throat> we went down a long path with them, got a retainer, wanted to retain search, and, you know, got the first phase of the retainer, and then they put everything on hold. Like, yeah, this, you know, our business is, is, until we get some clarity with where our business is, you know, we want to cut back. Their need didn't go away. They still have the need, but they don't have the money and they're worried about the money. Okay. You worried about, you worried about my fee? Well, that's part of it. Okay. Look, here's the gig. You still have the need. I want a happy client. Why don't we do this? Let's finish up the search get you what you need. It's a regulatory position. The FAA, you know, it's got it. They got to have it. Let's finish it up. Let's get you the person you need on board. And when the clouds part and you see where your cash flow position is, we work it out. I don't care. I got a happy client. You got your need, you know, let's just work it out. It's not about me. Um, so you just defer, deferred the fee? Just told him, look, I just not only deferred it, I'm like, hey, look, you know, let's just see where we are in December, January. I mean, if it takes that long for us to come yeah. back, I'm not, I don't really care. Um, and they're like, wow, thank you. Cool. And, you know, that's CEO of the company's like, yeah, it's a smaller company. You know, it's probably 10 million in revenues. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wow, okay, that's cool. Thank you. That, that, you know, yeah, I'm like, all right, great. Now I've got a happy client. Now look, it could all blow up and I may have left sure. a lot of, but at the end of the day, does well, my you wouldn't have gotten that anyway, right? So does my reputation suffer because I tried to help because I didn't make it about me? Yeah. Um, so right now, my and and everybody that knows me well knows that my style is I don't want I don't reach out to executives for hey I I've got a position I'm searching on. You know, I, I reach out because I want to know them. Hmm. You know, if a guy is a senior vice president of operations, or if he's a CFO, or if he's a, you know, pick a, pick a position, mm -hmm. you know, in a company that I have danced around, or I'll reach out to him just on an email, phone call, text, you know, and say, hey, look, can we chat? I just want to know you, you know, I'm out here, we're, we're playing in the same, we run in the same circles. I want to know you. It drives me crazy. Um, it drives me crazy when, you know, people are sending out notes right now saying, I've got a search ongoing. Your, your profile on LinkedIn looked good. Would you, you know, would you, you know, take a look at the job? And if it's not for you, would you refer somebody to me? Well, what's in it for that guy? 
You know, what's in it for that guy if, if, or girl? If, you know, if the job's not for them, you know, what's in it for them? Nothing. But you didn't take the time to reach out to them and say, can I, can I get to know you? Yeah. I like it. You know, yeah. I get, I get people, I get vendors, I get people calling me up all the time. Not one of them ever said, yeah, we've got this product or we've got that product or, you know, whatever. Not one of them has called me up and said, what do you do? How can we help you? Here's kind of what we're thinking about, you know? And I mean, to, to follow through on that analogy, how can you sell someone something to someone when you don't know what their needs are first? It's, it's backwards, right? The way that a lot of recruiters try and sell a position, but they don't really know what the candidate is all about, what they're looking for. Yep. So I would much rather build, you know, this is the way I've grown my business. It's not about roles I'm you know, challenged to fill. It's not about, you know, my goal is just, I just want everybody to know me. I yeah. mean, it's, I just want everybody Fantastic. to know me. Hey, if I, you know, if you know me and you like me, and I can bring value to your business. Yeah. Um, that's that in itself will pay off. But if I'm just out there selling, you know, yeah, it nobody cares. Nobody cares. I, um, there's a wonderful recruitment trainer in the States called Paul Syker. I don't know if you've come across him, but he teaches this method. He calls it the unfocused uh, recruiting call, where instead of selling a, an opportunity, you're you know, seeking a conversation in order to understand, you know, that person's longer term career aspirations and, and, and start a relationship. Um, so if anyone's interested in, in that training, let, get in touch with me and I'll, I'll figure out a way to, to uh, connect you to it. But um, I like that philosophy. Speaking of making sure that everybody knows who you are, I, the way that we connected originally, Craig, was because you have a podcast too. I do. Yeah. What's your podcast called? It's the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Awesome. It goes out uh, once a it goes out once yeah. a week. Yeah. Um, and we do. I, you know, I interview range from industry professionals, you know, CEOs, you know, people with you know interesting backgrounds in the industry. To I just uh, interviewed a former army general, and talk about you know leadership and chaos. You know, how do you lead in chaos? Um, he brought some really good things to the table where he says, "Hey, look, over communicating with your customer right now is not a bad idea." Yeah. Um, yeah, I get, I get it. So, you know, it's a variety of, a variety of guests, but, uh, it's been great for me. It's, uh, so why did you choose to, cause it, it is, as you, I'm sure you, you found, I, I know it's a lot of work. So why did you choose to invest your time and energy in this direction? Um, a lot of different reasons. One, yeah, yeah. I think being a thought leader is important. Yes. It's, it's, it's more about what do you know about your industry and what, you know, what kind of value do you bring to your industry and, strategically, where do you play from your thoughts? But then I just, you know, it was, for me, it was something that just challenged me. It's like, hey, look, let's, let's go reach out to some people and have some really cool dialogues. And once again, I get to know more about what they're doing, you know, and they can tell the world, you know, about what they're doing. So it's, um, you know, talk about your businesses. I say, yeah, I talk about your business. I'll say, you know, I'll talk to a company that just had a great victory in some way or form. I'm like, hey, tell us about your victory. Tell the mm. world about your victory. Because that's yes. about 10,000 10, people. You know, tell the world about your, you know, what's going on. And they can do it. And I say, hey, look, there's, you know, it's, it's just about 
Yeah. So that's, I started doing that about 18 months ago now, and I've had a lot of fun with it, met a lot of people. Yeah, I love it. I would do it just for free because I get to meet and talk to interesting people like you and, and learn, you know, learn from you. So um, I, you know, is hugely valuable just from a development point of view, personal development. But um, have you been able to derive any uh, concrete business wins as a result? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly enough, was talking to one guy and I said, who's doing it right? And he said, well, this company is really doing it right. And I shot a note to the CEO of that company and just said, I was talking to a uh, fellow on your customer advisory board. He says, you're doing it right. You know, he's like, he calls me up and he says, hey, let's have a chat. You know, we, you know, a couple C-level placements with that company. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, Interviewed the CEO of another company. Now they're 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 going through some challenges. CEO of another company a while back, and just placed a senior vice president with them um, a couple months ago. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's you know once again it it gets your name. I've had you know I think what's really neat is I had one guy runs some businesses, and he says I make all of my senior leaders listen to your podcast every Sunday night. Oh wow! And we talk about it on Monday. That's cool. And they it's their homework for the Monday. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, all right, cool. Thank you. Nice. Makes you feel good. Yes, totally. Well, I am a a huge proponent of of podcasting. Um, A, as as you said, it's enjoyable. But B, I think from a thought leadership point of view, from a business development point of view, I think it definitely pays dividends. So um, if there's, you know, even if there is already a podcast in your niche, I don't know, are there any other aerospace ones? I, I don't pay attention to what yeah. other people do. I don't really pay attention. I don't pay attention to my competitors. I don't pay okay. attention to what everybody else is doing. I have a couple of podcasts I listen to and, yeah. and I like them. And, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, well, just, uh, you know, uh, yeah, to, but I, I, don't, I don't pay attention to the competition. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Where, where I was going with that is a lot of people say, oh, it's too late. And there's, you know, there's already so many podcasts and there's no point in me doing it. And my view is, well, you know, if you can find, yeah, in my space, there's probably a dozen or 15 different podcasts, but if you can find your own unique, you know, take on things or your, your own voice, then, and you've got something to say, why not put it out there and let people find you, you know? I write and I write very pointed mm-hmm. opinions. I'm not, you know, again, once again, it comes down to me and I'm not, I'm not afraid to take a stance. Yeah. Um, I don't get political. I don't get, there's a couple of things I will not do. Yeah. You know, I don't get political. I don't get anything like that. But if it comes to the business side of things, I, I put some stuff out and I put them out from, uh, you know, just, you know, here's my thoughts on the whole thing. If you like it, cool. If you don't, but judging from the comments I get, you know, more people are happy that I take a stand than, you know, go team, you know, yay. That's awesome. Uh, what is this a blog or how, do, how are you putting this in? I yeah. do. If you go to my website, northstartesg.com, you can pretty well see everything I write. I put a lot of stuff up on LinkedIn and then I'll yeah. move it over to my, my website. Yeah. Um, do you email it out as well to your, your list? You know, I, I don't, I should. Yeah. I think you should because you probably should, you know, otherwise, I mean, those are people who, um, that's a distribution channel that you own, right? It's yeah. your database. Whereas LinkedIn is great, but 
you know, the plat, they're only going to organically show that to a limited number of people. Right. Um, and then, you know, same with your blog, people may stumble across it and which is great, but uh, I would be in people's inbox as well. Yeah, I should do that more. Um, I really haven't thought about it that much, but yeah, that's, but, but I get a lot of people call me and they're like, Hey, look, I like what you write. I like yeah. what you, yeah, you, you take a stance. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, but that once again, from an executive recruiter standpoint, you know, what do you want to be? Do you want to be just that tactical person who's, you know, doing what tactical people do? Or do you want to be an in industry? Do you want to, you know, you, you want to be the person speaking at conferences and, you know, being a, you know, someone that an expert that people can rely on to, you know, be a value to their business. And I, I choose the, I choose the latter. It's absolutely, um, I just enjoy, I enjoy being in the business. I enjoy being around the business. I enjoy the people of the aerospace industry. Yeah, very much. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Craig. I've really enjoyed this. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, hey, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it and uh, let's do it again. All right, will do. I'll, I'll take you up on that. Thanks, have a great day, Craig. Thanks, Mark, appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really wanna help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.